You're listening to The LaunchCast, the podcast about leadership, business, life, and growth with me, your host, George Andriopoulos. It's like food for your ears. George? Yes, Dave? Where do podcasts come from? Well, when two dudes with microphones in their home offices like each other very much, they get together and they make a podcast. And then they just see what happens? Yes, then they do whatever they want, and a dad podcast is born. That's right. We have a brand new podcast coming out, and it is premiering on April 7th with our trailer and first four episodes. Dave, do you know what that podcast is called? It's called the Over My Dad Podcast, and it is a podcast, but it's not just for dads. I want to make that very clear. We got a lot of stuff. We got periodic guests. We got just conversation, wacky business ideas opinions nothing too wild it's like a light joe rogan or like a really edgy ellen show that was actually the original name for the show the edgy ellen show and it is co-hosted by you dave thompson that's right and you george andriopoulos i can pronounce your name which i'm i'm that we're, we're halfway there we're halfway there guys check us out <laughs> every other wednesday we drop a new episode but our first four episodes april 7th don't forget every other wednesday and check us out on social media Facebook and Instagram at Over My Dad Podcast. And are we on Twitter? We are at Over My Dad Bod CST. Join us for our movement towards nothing in particular. See you there. At this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelts. Launch sequence. Launch sequence activated. Launch sequence activated. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the LaunchCast. Episode 214. Goosebumps, as usual. Episode 214 is called Anchors Away because we have my favorite anchor of all time here right now today. I'm super excited for this interview, but you know the deal on this show, guys. We got to do the intro. It's the launch dad himself, George Andriopoulos, bringing you your favorite podcast on the planet. It's true. It's damn true. Right now, as the beat drops. Into the black hole. What is happening, my friends? Welcome to another episode of the launch cast. Uh, I, I am... I got to say, I'm super energized for the next few weeks of this show. You know, this whole pandemic got me in my fields, right? I'm not even in my regular studio. You, I got the popcorn machine back there. My wife's sweatshirt on her chair here. This is like chaos here. I'm not in my regular studio. Um, and so, you know, like the, the vibe on this thing, sometimes in and out, like every week, it just changes. It's like trying to... Uh, secure guests like our regular interviews that we always have on this show is always so tough during the pandemic. Um, you know, and, and I miss those interviews in person in the studio that we always had uh, during the first half of season one before everything went haywire. But the, these last few weeks, we're, we're in our rhythm and we have some killer, killer interviews that are that have been uh, recorded and are coming up. And of course, today I've been so excited about. So uh, 
Just want to remind you real quick. I know by the time this episode comes out, which is going to be like April 12th, I think uh, <coughs> we will have, no, maybe the next week, April 19th, uh, we will have recorded um, and broadcast the first four episodes of the new podcast, the Over My Dad podcast, the podcast for dads and non-dads uh, with me and Dave Thompson. So check that out. Links in the show notes. But that's enough of that. You didn't come here for that. You came here for Suki. So let me bring her on screen and unmute her here. There we go. There she All is. right, I'm ready to launch. Let's do this. She's ready to launch. Thank you so much <laughs> for being here. Guys, Sukanya Krishnan here. I can't even believe I'm saying this on the launch cast. Sukanya Krishnan. And for those of you like nationally that listen to this or internationally, we're by the way, we're in 45 countries right now, Sukanya. Are we? 45. All right, countries. congratulations. Thank you so much. Um this is this is one of my anchors, right? This is like I have it in New York. You, you know, we we have like there's news at like the 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 micro local level. There's like the regional level and whatever. And like there's a few anchors that I felt were always my anchors. You know, like the people that that Mom. I wanted to listen uh, to the news from. And we're gonna get into that because I have a whole thing with with broadcasting. I just I'm fascinated by it. But this is okay. Sukanya Krishnan a legend in the New York market, legend. Aww. And don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. Uh, Sukanya <laughs> is a seven-time Emmy award-winning television host and producer. She is a mother of two, a native New Yorker, a uh, wife, uh, known to millions worldwide as Suki. I hope that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. It's yeah. all good. Suki is no stranger to live broadcast content, having served as anchor journalist for a myriad of local and national networks such as Pix11, Fox 5, and TLC. Uh, we're going to get into the whole the whole bio uh, throughout this interview. I, I can't even – this is like a page of bio here, so I'm not even going to get into oh. that. But thank you so much for being here, Suki. I'm, I'm honored to have oh. you on the LaunchCast. George, thank you. I'm excited that somebody's interested in me. <laughs> Everybody's interested. So, so first of all, this came about because we had Lisa Mateo on uh, a few episodes ago, who was incredible, yeah. incredible, incredible. And she was like, after our interview, we had we had great chemistry during the interview, and she's like, "You have to talk to Sukanya. Have to talk. You guys have a great time together." So I was like, "Can you set up this intro?" And she was like, Aww. "Absolutely." <laughs> I know at least at least is one of my tribe always been uh you know we connected on many levels uh early on in at pix 11 and uh you know have been really great friends since you know we've we've seen each other get married we've had kids together her kids have gone off to college different career paths now and uh we continue to have this relationship that's you know just beyond the workplace and it, she's a very special person she really is the real deal so she is um, the real deal it, it's She's a real deal. It's oh, it's always good to have people who uh, you know walk the walk and talk the talk. And uh, you know, nowadays things are just so filtered that you don't really know if you if that person is really behind that curtain. Yeah. And um, and Lisa is definitely one of those people that's you know firmly planted uh, her value systems her are her own and uh, and somebody that's just a girlfriend. You know, a good girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. She, and she really, she's totally the real deal. And, and again, uh, I'm going to get into this later, but, um, you know, as this podcast grows, I feel like the, the section of interviews that I've done, uh, with broadcasters that mean a lot to me are going to be really special episodes. I know that the two that we've done with Carol Silva, who's again, Oh, I love legend. Carol. Yeah. Carol and, and Lisa were incredible. Two of my favorite episodes. And I know this is going to be up there on the board. So no pressure. <laughs> I hope I don't disappoint. No pressure. Don't, don't disappoint. disappoint us, Suki. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
So let's dive in the way we start this interview every sure. single time. Suki, are you a leader? Am I a leader? Yes. I think I've always assumed that role uh, for better or for worse. How's yeah. that? So talk to me about your definition of a leader. What does leadership mean to you and what does it mean um, to you? I, I, I think leadership is just creating your own voice, right? Uh, creating a space uh, for yourself to stand on. But not only that, uh, creating pathways and avenues for other people to be able to walk through as well and to be a support system for them. Um, I think creating a voice is the most important thing because once you create your own voice, uh, you know who you are, you are self-defined. Um, you know, we're all works in progress, but once you know who you are intrinsically to your core, uh, and what your value systems are, I think that's when leadership, leadership really happens. It's, it sort of goes hand in hand, um, because you're not afraid. Uh, and if you are afraid, uh, you have a leap of faith, uh, that's deeper, uh, than what people can really, uh, define. And sometimes, um, that lets you walk out on that ledge and uh, be able to be that person, uh, uh, a beacon of light for some uh, or an opposing uh, voice for others. But either way, you're standing in your own light, you're standing on your own bridge, and you're hoping to connect other people on that platform. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's incredible to hear this every single week on on a new interview. Uh, this part of the interview is is the one part that's the same every time, right? The the are you a leader question, and it's so it's so amazing to hear the different responses from different leaders that come from different walks of life, and how you know intrinsically there's just this this link between all of the answers, and yet they're, they're completely different. We've probably done. You know, we're on episode 214 in, in the second season now, so we've probably done 40-something mm -hmm. interviews um, to date. And although they were they were very similar, that, that, there's that thing that bonds them, but they're completely different answers. And so I love that unique uh, take that you have on it. And, and, you know, standing up and finding your voice is, is so important for me. Um, you know, going from from my role in business to being a public speaker and, and author and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, I kind of saw that genesis in myself, you know, having already been a leader and then discovering it through these different platforms and seeing how you can kind of get your voice out there to create change in, in different ways. So I, I love that answer, Suki. Love it. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So let's let's start at the beginning like we always do. here. Sure. So so let's start at the very beginning, at the very beginning. <laughs> I'm it's being a very good born. Place to start. No. <laughs> so you're 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 born in India uh, originally. Mm -hmm. uh, parents were I don't know if I have this right. Parents were both doctors. Yeah, my mom and dad are both doctors. Yeah, both doctors. Yeah, and then uh, you guys uh, immigrated to Staten Island. Yeah, we stopped off of Brooklyn. Who doesn't stop off of Brooklyn? Who, who doesn't? And right. Go, you know, and then you go over the bridge, and then you're like, you know, solidify your. Uh, stronghold and plant your flag on Staten Island. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, talk to me about, um, growing up uh, first. So how long were you in India before you guys moved to? Staten I mean, Island? I came in my, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I came like, I came as a gra uh, grade student. So it was like, you know, uh, first, second grade. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, you know, listen, um, new age immigrants, right. You know, like, uh, back in the seventies and I was born in the seventies. So my parents came in the sixties, um, so it was a different time, right? There was no people like Sukanya Krishnan or, you know, the South Asian community didn't have a, a strong, uh, uh, hold like they, they do now in many, many different parts of the, of, of the world. Uh, and we were part of, you know, 
my parents were part of a generation that was asked by the United States to come here because there was there were not a lot of doctors at that time. Uh, and so they were the best and the best of what India had to offer. Uh, and they came here on, on those scholarships and uh, they just decided to stay uh, to offer us the opportunity and the dream of the possibilities. I mean, really the American dream. So yeah, it wasn't the initial plan. I think they always wanted to go back. Uh, but then one thing led to another. Um, they ended up staying here. And, um, you know, we are what the generations of Americans are after the 70s, right? Yeah. So there was like different waves of immigration, uh, especially in New York. And uh, we were part of that latter, latter part, in the uh, early, late 60s and uh, late 70s. So what what was the dream as a young Suki, right? Before before For you really me, got yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, growing up with parents who are doctors, I'm sure this is a story that is probably perpetual. I think um in India it was always like, you know, sort of uh the road was paved like either you're an engineer, you're a doctor or you're a lawyer, right? Very pragmatic. But I think that has to do with a lot of immigrant families, right? Um I think that that is something that was a pathway to gain equality. Uh, through education and higher education being, uh, like I said, back to creating a voice for yourself. So education was always paramount for my family uh, because that was the only way we were able to even the playing field. And people always, you know, always people always say, oh, Indians, you know, oh, they're always steady. Uh, you hear it all the time. But really, the reality was there was nobody here in this country. Like, you know, if you go back to how maybe your grandparents or your great grandparents came to this country, came with nothing. And so the only thing that you were able to stand upon firmly was the education that you were given and being able to move up uh, uh, through, uh, through those, those, those silos uh, that were, that were for everybody. You know, you didn't have to be one thing, you know, you could just, you know, just be smart. <laughs> yeah. So, so and if you what, weren't smart, you fake it until you make it. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> so at what point, um, you know, growing up, uh, cause I know, I know you went to New Dorp high school, uh, in Staten Island and then you went to Dickinson college. Did you make yeah. the decision to become a broadcaster before going to college or was that a decision no, that you made? No, 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 no. I think, uh, Becoming a broadcaster was just a, a, a just really a pipe dream. I thought I, I was I wanted to go into the United Nations and do policy and um, create uh, different change in the world. I mean that was my initial kind of thrust uh, when I was in college. I lived a year abroad in Spain, and I was just you know that was when the EU was forming, and I had this very global sort of approach towards wow, through policy, we can really create change in the world. And, you know, and somehow, uh, pragmatically, when I went back home, uh, my parents were like, so what are you going to do now? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Uh, this is the pipe dream that I have. And I don't know. Um, so um, I, I wanted to go to law school and I didn't go to law school. So I ended up clerking at uh, uh, as, a, as a paralegal at Kirkland and Ellis. I mean, this is like the most convoluted story. This was never my dream. Um, and then um, when I was taking night classes at NYU, um, a professor just kind of just planted this seed. He's like, wow, you're a real good, good communicator. Wow, your communication skills are phenomenal. You're a great writer. Did you ever think about this? And I said, think about what? He's a television. You'd be perfect for it. And I was like, television? 
Uh, I had never seen anybody like myself on TV and it seemed like kind of crazy um, because at back then, I mean, if you look at TV in 1980s, it was just one kind of stereotype. It was like one drum beat of a yeah. person. Uh, and so for me, it just seemed like an implausible dream, but you know, I like challenges. And so I looked for an internship and one thing led to another. I mean, I basically had graduated school and as you know, how internships go, um, you have to take it for college credit or a master's credit. And, uh, I basically convinced a wonderful man named Stan, uh, at TV 55 that I would basically do anything <laughs> if he gave me the experience. And I lived in my aunt's basement and, uh, you know, and for free, cause I had no money and I was interning and I just lived on a prayer, a dream and, uh, and a lot of hard work, a lot of, a lot of chutzpah. Yeah. Love that. Love that. I want to, I want to fact check something real quick before we yeah. move on that I found out there. Cause you know, Wikipedia, right. Um, <laughs> that's how that's how you got to do half your research you got to make sure it's yeah. right <laughs> okay um, good shoot is it true that you went to, to high school with method man by the way not method man uh, uh no 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 method man was from staten island obviously yeah um um raekwon raekwon from ah. oh raekwon. okay Oh, so it's still Wu-Tang. So were you, you were never I, asked to be the 10th member of Wu-Tang Clan. Ever. I wish I would have. I wish I would have. I wish I had cut out of school and hung out, you know. <laughs> but Raekwon and I had a math class together. He's a very cool guy. And, uh, uh, you know, I was just really happy for their success because, you know, during that time, I mean, hip-hop was just starting and it was just, you know, and, and, and you know, Shaolin was now on the map. I mean, it was just incredible. They were They were visionaries on their own right. And they created their own voice as well. So there was a lot of stuff that was happening at that time that, you know, is now, you know, is now part of our culture. And, and, and that's what, that's, what's amazing about, you know, I, I talked before about, um, you know, how people view their news, right. And, and uh, what, whatever locality they're in, they, they sort of pick their anchor that they watch and, and let them uh, tell them the news and, and relay the, you know, the events of the day um, where we are here in New York, right? Just such a, especially the time that you, that you and I grew up, I, I'm a, a born in the seventies as well. Um, and it's just such a, it was such a melting pot when I was younger and there was mm -hmm. just so many important things happening in the world. And it just, you know, it becomes a part of the fiber of, of who you are. I was just talking on my other podcast uh, that we were recording last week. I was talking about um, I started watching on Paramount Plus the the Real World New York Homecoming. Uh, oh my god, it's, I haven't it's, watched that yet, but yes, it's incredible, it and they do okay. it in a way where it's it's shot exactly like the original. It's the first cast ever over the Real World, and yeah, I you know, you talk that. about there's like. Um, there were all these conversations around race going on during the the initial season mm -hmm. of the real world and they're still the same conversations but now there's this different viewpoint and you just see how you know things like that in New York that were happening just had such a huge impact on on the world at large um i want to ask you just being somebody who's who's from New York you know Staten Island um you know it's it's in your blood how how much of of new york is part of the fabric of what you do as oh, a leader i am new i mean i definitely feel like i'm completely new york i mean i am definitely uh i am so proud of the fact that i am from new york and culturally being exposed to everything that we were i mean like listen 
I mean, if you think about all the things that we exported during the 80s and this, you know, and, and, and the 90s, it was just definitely our culture, you know, the mixtapes and, you know, going down to, you know, uh, Unique Boutique and all of these things that you just could do uh, in New York City, uh, Tower Records. I mean, this is just, you know, this is like everything that we all used to do. Um, I think New York made me who I am for sure. I mean, I think my immigrant value systems are just something that's deeply embedded in who I am. Um, I also am not even first generation to this country, but I am, I consider myself first generation because I grew up here. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I love seeing all the different colors, cultures, religions. Um, I loved eating all the different foods. I mean, it wasn't until I went to college when I was like, wow. I mean, like, yeah. what do you mean? What do you mean you don't have Sunday sauce? Like, I don't, I don't understand what the hell's wrong with you. What, what's wrong with people here? <laughs> you know, because, you, know, you know, it wasn't until I went to college where I realized that, oh, not everybody is like a New Yorker. Oh, I, I get it. Boom, mind blown. Um, and that's when I realized how special and what a special gift that my parents chose to raise us in New York City, um, because I think that that also allowed us to be able to stand on our own value systems and not feel so different, even though we were really different back then. Um, and I think that was important for me to realize that even though I was different, I was part of something that was, you know, that was bigger. Uh, because when you walk the streets of New York, you know you're part of something great, something yeah. fantastic, anything that's possible, the rhythm, the vibe, the electricity of the city, um, just seeing different people and the different possibilities. Yeah, oh, I, I love that. Um, so so let's talk about the, the, the transition into news now. Um, I want to touch on real quick, <laughs> you, you've said uh, you credit your professors at Dickinson for helping you see your worth. You said that the front door wasn't always open to me as a person of my origin and background and immigrant to this country. Sure. And the welcome mat wasn't always out, but my professor, professors were pivotal in helping me understand my value and how to be a standout. And so when you left college and, and you started uh, the journey. I know you got your first uh, start in broadcasting in 94 at um, mm -hmm. on Long Island, right? 255, yeah, yeah, 255. Yeah, my neck of the woods, which by the way, I'm from Queens originally and then moved out to to the island. All right. Um, so, you know, LL Cool <laughs> so you J. you that direction, we went in that direction. That's right, LL Cool J, Run DMC. Those are my people. <laughs> I'm representing Queens. You were, you were raised in Staten Island. Uh, raised out, yeah, not in Brooklyn, Staten Island. <laughs> um, so so you know, taking that that um, that that feeling of worth and yeah. going out into yeah. the broadcasting world, and I've and I've heard about this world from from Cal Silva, from from Lisa Mateo, and how hard it was for for women to to break through and just be heard, unbelievable, yeah, and, and taken seriously. What what was the mindset just going into it? I think I've always been a fighter, right? Like, you know, when you're the only one in a room, you always have to fight for your place at the table, right? Uh, and you didn't even realize that you were fighting for a place because you were young and you were thought everything was possible. Um, I, I really do believe my teachers, my first teacher, uh, who really, really uh, created this fire inside of me and, and allowed me to publicly speak was my high school teacher and coach, Mrs. Lanigan, who gave me the nickname Suki. Um, and, uh, you know, she was the first person. And then, you know, the rest of that is just, you know, going to college and then finding, you know, other professors who kind of understood 
you know, what I brought to the table and that my talents weren't just one dimensional, but it was multidimensional. Uh, and then I had an ability to relate and I had ability because back then that wasn't like really thought of as a talent, right? That wasn't added to your, you know, uh, your resume that you were this person that could, you know, create connections that could yeah. communicate content that could, you know, um, you know, take content, boil it down and then make it understandable and digestible. That wasn't something that was, you know, even thought of as a talent. Uh, but yeah, they were able to help me understand that it was okay to stand up uh, and uh, not always have to take the back seat because so many minorities um, always took the back seat uh, because it was easier to ride in the car in the back than to sit in the front <laughs> yeah. and to take the wheel, right? You know, you're kind of taught, and especially as a woman and a woman of color too, uh, that uh, that it, you know that that it's not that you're not supposed to be in the driver's seat. But luckily, you know, my father is also a very very uh, pivotal, thriving force in my life. My mother, my grandmother. Uh, you know, usually Indian families are patriarchal. I grew up in a matriarchal. It was all flipped. Uh, my grandmother was the one that you went to for everything. My father to this day, you know, you know, credit most of his success to uh, my mother and his his own mother. So, you know, he always raised me with the belief that I was just as good as the boys and I definitely was going to be able to stand on my own two feet and that I could do anything that I put my mind to. So I always had that in the back of my head, even though there was self-doubt that would always creep in um, because of ideas of who it was to be in front of the camera or ideas of beauty or ideas of size. I mean, all of these things that have a name now didn't really have a name back then. Um, and um, I just thought if I worked really hard that I could make anything happen. And that's exactly what I did. I worked really hard. I waited for the most moments where I could actually, you know, maybe not walk through the front door, but if there was a window that was cracked, I could kind of crawl through it like a ninja and then bam, I'd be there for the opportunity. And when the opportunity was there, I'd be prepared. I'd show them what I got and then they could never say no. So that's how I kind of looked at it. And you did Because, it. you know, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like really, I mean, like really, you get a tape of a girl named Sukanya Krishnan, like this is 1993. I mean, let's let's look at a news director's office. I mean, he's like, what is that? I mean, I actually had people tell me, what is that? Like, who are you? Like, it's like weird questions that you would never ask. But that that's like all of the questions that I used to get asked all the time. Who are you? What are you? How do you fit in? Uh, why should I hire somebody like you when you don't represent, you know, um, the world at large? It was just wacky questions that I would all, always get hammered with. And, you know, I was 25, 26 years old. I mean, you don't have the answers to that like you do now. You have a firm footing of who you are and how to answer those questions now. Um, so, you know, I always had to explain who I was and now I don't. And I love yeah. that. <laughs> uh, I, I love, and I love hearing that too, because all these years later, you look at it and you go, you do represent the world yeah. at large now. You literally I represent do. the world I, at large I, I actually, I actually, uh, you know, uh, when, there was a news director that asked me, 
like who like you don't really represent i was like i beg to differ i was like in new york city you know uh the asian population is the fastest growing population and, and you have nobody here that represents me uh nobody in your newsroom you know back then you had the one african-american or the two you know you had all of these the one it, it was like everybody had one <laughs> and you know there were never any south asians and for a long time i was you know i was that one uh for a long time yeah. and sadly to say now i'm so happy when i when i see different you know uh people of my background that are there that have a voice i'm like you know more power to it i'm i'm, I'm so glad um, that 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 things have changed, but it's taken about 25 years for it to change. Um, and obviously this summer, you know, the summer of 2020 and the consciousness of who we are and how diverse we are and how there have been a lot of uh, sidestepping of really bigger conversations that need to be had. Yeah. You know, it, it's nice to see all that change that's happening now. Yeah. And if yeah. I was a small part in it, I'll take it. I'll well, take it. You're you're a big part in it because you know when I look at look, I, I have three kids. Two of them are are daughters. I have a 12 year old daughter and a little little uh, eight month old nugget. Um, and and look, my my you know my 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 older two kids are from my first marriage and I'm I'm remarried now. And um, my my little girl is you know she's half Asian and and I know that. Um, She's gonna grow up in a world that's that's more accepting of her than it would have been oh, when yeah. I grew up. But at the same time, she's gonna have a lot of work to do. So as a dad who who just adores his daughters and and wants them to to thrive and succeed and to find their power, you know, it's it's about doing the kind of things your dad did and and how do I raise these girls knowing their worth and, and mm -hmm. you know. So I mean, I I think I think the world that they're gonna grow up in, and this is my hope because my my children are also you know. Um, you know, are, are biracial as well. I think that, I think that they're already going to know who they are. I mean, I see my, my son and there is such a depth of understanding of difference that we never had. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, there is also a depth of humanity and kindness, um, that we don't have. So yeah. I think that they're really going to be the generation of change. Uh, they're the, really going to be the generation of really putting forth uh, a, a different America. I do believe they're already laying the groundwork of yeah. that. And maybe not the millennial generation. I mean, the millennials definitely have created a voice and a consciousness. But I think it's the next two generations that are really going to flip whatever ills that we have in our society and really just understand that we are all just part of this incredible incredible blanket that is America uh, and that we have to understand that we are so unique to any other country in the world because the only thing that is important is that we all believe in the tenets of what this country is about and yeah. that is the thing that brings everybody here that drives everybody here uh, and and ultimately want to plant their flag to you know be called an American yeah yeah, and 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 again, I just want to reiterate, you're such a huge part of that in your leadership with just what you do on a day to day basis. Honestly, thank you. you know, to to 
to know that you were the first South Asian. I'm like the uh, accidental leader. <laughs> you are, right? First South Asian to anchor news in the number one market. I mean, and there's a lot of that going around today, which is amazing. Firsts, firsts are happening all the time now, which is an incredible time. So, yeah. Um, all right, so let me see if I have the timeline right. We're going to blast through some of this stuff before we get to the next thing. So, uh, 95, you were the anchor, reporter, and producer of the 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. news uh, at an ABC affiliate in Utica, right? Utica, New York, baby. Utica, New York. Yeah, the beautiful Utica. <laughs> Another branch of Dunder Mifflin up there. Um, <laughs> Uh, prior to joining C uh, WCBS, you were a morning news anchor reporter in Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania, right? WHP-TV. WHP-TV. Yes. You covered various stories, including TWA Flight 800, uh, mm -hmm. Million Man March, Floods of 96. Uh, and then mm -hmm. you moved on to CBS uh, from 97 mm -hmm. to 2001 as a general assignment reporter. Um, and you covered some major stuff there, right? Clinton White House impeachment proceedings, Rudy sure. Giuliani's Monica cleanup. Lewinsky time. Yep. Yeah. Rudy Giuliani's uh, cleanup of, of Times Square, Abdul uh, sure. Lima beating, uh, 98 race uh, between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. A lot of stuff going on during that time. A lot of stuff. Um, and then 2001, news anchor at, at PIX11, which lasted for many, many years. Um, yeah. So this is the area that I want to touch on, and this is where um, – I tend to get a little more serious with the interview, at least for, for the last two times that I, I, you know, when I interviewed Carol and, and Lisa, um, this is one of those times in life that was so fascinating to me, 2001. Um, what you do as a, as a broadcaster and bringing us the news, um, just so, so important. And you can think back to different times in history you know, JFK's assassination, uh, John Lennon, the Berlin Wall falls, Watergate. And you almost like for the people that grew up in those times, what are they going to remember? They're going to remember the broadcaster that told them about that. That's the mm. image in their heads. Um, and so I remember during 9-11 um, when that all went down, I remember the specific broadcasts that I watched during that time. And then the subsequent weeks, too. I remember like Dave Letterman. um, you know, speaking so passionately. I remember Howard Stern. I remember, you know, there were so many things. The, the the Met game with Mike Piazza with the home run and the, you know, all these times in New York that were so incredible. And I remember mm -hmm. your broadcast. I was going to, I, I was going to St. John's at the time. Um, wow. And I remember getting ready for class and then turning on the news when I was getting ready in the morning and I turned on Channel 11 uh, and it was actually your broadcast that I turned on mm. um, and I actually was YouTubing this. Yes. And it was so heartbreaking to, to watch this, but I actually did not remember the exact footage that it was fucking incredible mm -hmm. <laughs> what I watched. Um, it, like it was you and uh, oh, Lynn White, Lynn White. Yeah. yeah Lynn White. You and yeah. Lynn White. Um, so, you know, Obviously, this is this has to be a standout time for you as a broadcaster. Talk to me Whoa. about two two things I want to hear about. One is separating the terror of what was actually going on and going out there to what you thought was your responsibility as a, as a broadcaster to tell us what was going on, rather than just going home and like I'm out. You know what I mean? Talk to me about that first. Oh, uh, okay. So I was uh, 29 years old at that time. And you can imagine the gravity of the day, right? And, you know, we're looking back at it now 20 years. This this September 11th will be 20 years uh, since since that happened. Uh, um, and 
for me, I was just a reporter who was filling in on the morning show. And I was just excited to be there that morning. Like, I was like, all right, I get my big, you know, I'm on the desk. It's going to be fantastic. It's, you know, it's this beautiful crisp morning. And uh, I wasn't thinking anything of it. And at that time, you know, our show only went till eight o'clock. And you know the timeline now. So we were all in the newsroom and, you know, one of the, one, we have, you know, everybody had their, uh, their satellite operators on, the, uh, on one of the World Trade Centers. So all of a sudden, you know, going into the master control room, they were like, a plane just hit. And we're like, what, a plane hit? Oh, we didn't understand, you know, going back to 1993 and the bombings and we just thought, okay, that's kind of odd. And then we're looking at the pictures and it's like, wow. And then everybody's running to get onto the set, you know, breaking news, everything that's going, chopper goes up, Melinda Murphy goes up uh, in the chopper. And, you know, we didn't even know what was going to happen that day. I mean, it was just sort of like, you know, breaking news happens in a newsroom and people just go into this incredible, like, like a first responder mode, right? Just kind of like what cops do, they respond to the scene, firefighters do, they respond to the scene. You know, anybody that is doing that, you just do it intrinsically because that's your job. So, you know, I was sitting on the desk. I was 29 years old. I, re I really didn't understand what was happening until it was happening. And then you saw President Bush, you know, you, you remember this, you know, he's standing there in the classroom and then you see somebody whispering and he's yep. sitting there and you see his face and you're, you're starting to understand what's happening, but you didn't know it was terrorism back then. You know, you didn't know. So you couldn't put the terrorist frame onto the picture that you were seeing because nothing had been confirmed at the time. Um, but it was really Lynn White who, who was the one who went out and she was the leader really at that moment because it was her journalistic skills and her tenure um, to be able to guide me at that time as a cub anchor. And, and, and she was just, she was just incredible. Uh, in the way she was able to weave and tell that story together in calmness. And, and, you know, we learn from the people we sit next to, we learn from the people that we admire and we watch. And she was somebody I, I, I leaned on that day uh, for her experience, for her wisdom uh, to, you know, to guide me. I mean, we talk about, you know, how do you become a leader? You become a leader by watching others. Uh, you become a leader by uh, being able to see the gift that others have and to be able to appreciate that. So at that moment, I was leaning on somebody to guide me. And I didn't look at it as a weakness. I didn't look at at, at anything. I just looked at it as, okay, okay, I have to follow the person that has the most experience and she is it. And we are going to walk through this together, and 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 she did it, you know. Um, and it was just, I, I I didn't even know what I was watching, to tell you the truth. And it took me years to kind of yeah. process it, uh, like everybody else. Uh, um, and I just think that for for me at that moment, I knew that we had to galvanize as New Yorkers. Uh, to be able to run to the story, you know, like, you know, you're running towards downtown when everybody is running out and I'll never, I, I, I can't even tell you the imagery that I have because it's like I was in color and then suddenly the world turned black and white. 
And that's how it was, you know, after the second plane hit and the tower fell because you didn't even know it was going to fall. You know, you didn't even understand what was going to happen. And then you have two towers and the immensity of what's happening and, you know, the smoke, the silt, the, 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 just the rubble, the, the, the thunder, uh, I, you know, these are moments that have, you know, we always talk about the story that, that really just defined you. That was a story that defined me, that defined New Yorkers, um, that galvanized us together as, as people, as Americans. Um, and it was a moment that we all rose to the challenge to help each other, uh, in ways that I've never seen before. But yeah, I, um, I look back at that day with great pride. I look back at that year with great pride. I look back at every anniversary. Um, I, I get emotional just thinking about it because, you know, now you're able 20 years later, you're able to step back and, 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 and realize the lives that were lost, you know, the people, um, that never came home. I mean, don't you remember the city being littered with faces of like, you know, parents like desperately searching for their sons and daughters yeah. and husbands and wives and the women that were pregnant at the time and all the, all the changes that, that, you know, that you were able to experience, um, that these families, you know, had, you know, ripped apart, like, you know, just completely lost. Uh, so yeah, it, it definitely, you know, it takes me back, you know, especially, you know, when the bell tolls and, you know, I could, you get that sinking feeling every September 11th. And then you see these pictures of people and you're like, oh my God, you know, I knew that person. I know that person. I know that person, you know, it's just, uh, it's just something where I was proud to be able to serve my community. Uh, I was proud to be able to be a voice of reason during that time. I was proud to follow that story for as many years as I did, you know, 18, 19, 20 plus years. I was proud to give back to the FDNY, the NYPD, the Widows and Children's and Orphan Fund. I was proud to do all of those things because I felt like that was my calling. And that was also part of my own healing to be able to every day go on TV and to be able to deliver the news uh, with clarity, sincerity, yeah. and um, no apologies, right? Just be able to to do that with with uh, a conviction. Yeah, and I and I want to tell you what we saw as as the viewers during that time, and I'll, I'll you know, and I appreciate your your honesty and sincerity in this moment. I see you, you know, getting a little emotional. Uh, you know, talking about that, I've gotten emotional the last, I've asked this question of, of Lisa Mateo, of Carol Silva, because for me mm-hmm. in broadcasting, for the people that were around for that, it's one of the most important times, you know, in, in broadcasting because of the aftermath of that. And so I find it just so fascinating and it brings me back to a time I, I've gotten emotional the last two times. I'm trying to hold it together for Suki today because this is, <laughs> Suki's on my screen. But, um, you know, what did what did we see? You know, in, in that moment, I saw um, professionals that were, first of all, looking at their responsibility as as journalists to to keep us in the loop, um, in that, not to over dramatize, but putting yourself, putting your lives in danger to to you know to be there for us, right? Um, because anybody else would have gone home, right, uh, and to just be there with their families. And so that's the first thing you saw. The second thing is watching and rewatching the broadcast last night. Um, the honesty 
in experiencing what was going on. Like you said, this came out of nowhere. You, when you started oh, yeah. the broadcast, there was one building on fire, um, and you know that a plane had hit it. I don't know necessarily that you guys had seen that happen uh, yet when you went to the broadcast. And then you're you're talking, and by the way, Lynn White said, you know, and I don't know if it was Lynn White if there was a third voice on there, but um, you might have been saying, like, we're, we're not sure exactly yet what's going on. And I think Lynn White was like, this is, and especially after like the terrorism. Second, this looks like terrorism. And that was that was honesty there without, you know, creating some sort of agenda. That was real honesty in that moment because it was very apparent. And then in that moment, I thought one of the most special moments was when that second plane was flying by. And you actually said, I believe that's probably like a police helicopter. And then, boom. And then, and it was just this moment that was so palpable in, in the studio. Like, you could just feel it in your voices that was like, oh, shit. Like, this is terrorism, you know? Um, yeah. But then uh, every few moments, you would get your information and updates and, and would update us. It, but you were experiencing it and then getting your information and bringing it to us in, in real time in that moment. And we, we, as the viewers, appreciated that so much because we had nothing. We, we were just home, helpless, watching this. Um, I mean, this is pre-cell phone, pre-Twitter, pre-all that other kind of information that we are so kind of, you know, used to the information yeah. highway being so fast. And, you know, uh, back then, I mean, you know, you were, you were looking for verification. You were looking for, uh, you know, uh, why are, you know, F-16s flying over New York City right now? You know, where, what is going on? You know, it, it was like trying to piece together people were coming up to me saying, how do I get home? How do I get home? And I would look at them like, you just got to keep walking. Just keep walking north. Go on the FDR driveway and keep walking. Just walk. Walk away from here. The subways aren't running. There are no taxis. There's nowhere to go. Just put on your shoes and walk. People be walking barefoot. People, I mean, like, it was incredible in a haze. It was, it was one of those moments that I'll never ever forget i yeah. mean just the you know you see these pictures of um of the women and the men that were covered in dust right yep. you know you see the there was like this big daily news exposition of who was this person you know and um you know that's all i remember like i just remember people walking covered in dust covering head to toe you know in a haze in a daze but yes yeah uh, it was, it was, that was our job, right? As, as, as news people to be able to help you understand as we were also trying to understand in real time, that's kind of our job uh, to kind of walk through the process, stay factual, uh, not interject or put, put things out into the universe that you wouldn't be able to take back or retract because at that moment you were the only lifeline to a mother who was sitting in Queens going, my son works in, you know, the North Tower or my, you know, a, a mother who uh, whose daughter happened to go for a job interview from Brooklyn, whose daughter was in the South Tower yeah. and, and was desperately looking for information as to did people get out? Were people able to leave? And you were like, yes, people are walking. People are trying to find their way home. You know, you know, we didn't really understand where the plane hit, how many floors that were completely incapacitated that people couldn't escape from, um, you know, and, and some of my friends saw some of the worst moments as well. People jumping that, you know, we will, you know, you'll for never, ever forget 
for a lifetime. Yeah. You know, you just, you just, you see the documentaries and it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's a, it was a very real moment. How about all those firefighters who were climbing up the stairs and, you know, who didn't, who went in, you know, who, who got the call and, you know, Steven Siller, you know, running through the, the, uh, the Midtown tunnel with his gear on all the heroes, yeah. you know, that rose to the challenge. I mean, that's what leadership is when everything is out and down for the count, you're able to walk through that and to be able to be a light, a moment of hope, a moment of connection. Um, and that's what we did for that whole year. I mean, I went down, I was um, the only report I was for picks. I was the only reporter every day. I'd have to go every day. I'd report from downtown. And that next day was just a haze because I just basically went home. I went to Bellevue Hospital. I flushed my eyes out with water because I, I couldn't I couldn't see. And then I um and then I and I got some food from the fridge and I packed it in a rucksack and I just said, you know what? Gotta go to work. It's two o'clock. They, you know. It, it, literally maybe an hour of sleep, two hours of sleep and just, just, just get back at it and yeah. do it again. You know, cool. and I did it for a whole year, a whole year until they did the hell, the memorial. It was a very emotional time for me. It's that, it's that tireless work that, that helped to get us through it. Honestly, I, re, I remember, and, and as weird as this sounds, right? Like September 11th, obviously for most of us as New Yorkers, one of the worst days of our lives, right? September 12th was, in a very meta, weird way, um, one of the best days I've ever experienced because of it was as much as like the fear was palpable on the 11th, the unity was palpable on the 12th. And it was, you know, broadcast like yours and and just drive. I remember driving home from work. I worked in and went to school in Queens and lived on Long Island. And you're driving home and you're seeing all these vigils and people uh, together in, in these broadcasts. And it was just that unity, I remember, got us through everything. Oh, yeah. The, so much. I think quicker. it was the, yeah. I think it was yeah. the unity, the months and weeks that followed. I think September 12th for me, I'll just never forget it because it felt like, you know, like some Mad Max movie. Like you went past 23rd Street and it was just a ghost town, yeah. electricity, bonfires. It was, it was, you know, the shell of what, uh, the North Tower look like, you know, you know, the pictures where you just see like this thing sticking out, things burning around its smoke. I remember, uh, you know, there was nursery schools and everything around there. And I remember walking past and there was a photographer named John Frazzi. And I said, John, look what's down there. And there was a teddy bear that was just in the, in the, in, in all of the dust and just tossed aside. And I, and I thought to myself, I mean, I just thought, yeah, that, that's us. You know, our innocence has now been tossed aside and is now in the rubble and the grayness of what this world is going to be reshaped as. Yeah. And I thought that to myself. I was like, wow. Uh, and I, uh, I'll never forget that. I picked up that teddy bear and I should have held it and I should have kept it, but I just... You know, yeah. it was like one, it was like one step after another, trying to make your hits, you know, trying to tell the rest of the world what's going on. And, and the next day you were still hopeful that people were somehow trapped in these little air pockets that could have formed when the World Trade Center sort of pancaked. You know, you were thinking all of the possibilities that there, there wasn't going to be that massive death toll, that, that it wasn't going to be yeah. that. 
Uh, there was still hope the next day, but you know, as the weeks and months, you know, and the days sort of started to uh, pass, the reality and that sinking feeling uh, in your gut told you that this was, yeah, this was the world that we're going to live in and it's yeah. going to be reshaped forever. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I want to say, as we moved on, uh, number one, you, uh, uh, in 2002, you were awarded your first Emmy for the live coverage you did there. You did incredible work. Uh, and since then, award after award, we don't have to list them all. We know you are the bomb.com. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Back-to-back <clears throat> -back Emmys in 2005, 2006 for on-camera uh, on achievements. Man, list goes on. And you were on The Sopranos in 2004 in the Two cool. Tonys episode. <laughs> Amazing. That was cool. Yeah. Um, I want to I wanna sidebar real quick. Um, you're married. Uh, your husband Eric, yeah. he is he a he's a battalion chief in the yeah, fire he's department. Yeah, chief in the fire department. Yeah, chief mm -hmm. in the fire department. Mm -hmm. uh, two children. Um, yep. How has being a wife and a mother changed your outlook on leadership? Uh, it's changed everything. You know, I have two minds that I have to now kind of uh, help create and navigate and uh, build up and and be able to see the world in a different way. That like like I was saying, I do believe that. You know, there's a different, there's this different essence in those kids. Uh, at least I'm hoping uh, that we'll be able to maybe um, get rid of all the ills that we have in the world. Uh, <laughs> that's my hope. This next generation, God damn it, is going to change everything. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to be a part of it. Um, but um, um, I sounded like Homer Simpson or something like that. Homer Simpson's dad for a second. But um, you know, listen, I think, I think leadership uh, comes very differently. I think when you become a mother, uh, you automatically, um, everything, everything that you've ever known changes in an instant. Your life is not your own. Uh, your children are everything and everything that you've ever accomplished, that selfishness is all put on the back burner. I think, um, for me, uh, the world, uh, is, is different the landscape of television news is different. Um, I watch it now as a viewer and I am sometimes perplexed at things that happen um, and angry <laughs> and yell at the TV. Um, and and I, I feel like for me, my role as a mother, to answer your question, is to really uh, help create the next generation, the next voice. You know, I want my, hus uh, my husband and my my children to have their own unique voice, you know, maybe layered with a little bit of my experiences, but their own experiences that are, that are uniquely themselves. Um, I want my, uh, my son to know that he's part of a bigger global experiment, um, that the worlds that we, were, we grew up with, where we'd write letters to our pen pals, that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, everybody is just a click away. And, and, and that's how we're going to have to work with each other because we're all just a click away from each other and we all need each other to keep this world functioning in one beautiful, you know, rainbow. Uh, so that's that, those are the things that I want to be able to shape my children's mind and that they have a bigger role. And it's not just maybe in their community first and foremost, but it's also a global perspective. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they have to really realize that global perspective that they can lay their footprint and do things that are that are that are much more impactful, um, given the chances if they take the risk. And it's 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 it can be a calculated risk or it could just be an all-out risk. 
but I want them to be able to believe in themselves to take those risks. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, this is something I've, I've always wondered of, of people in your profession. So when you were, are we crazy? Newsroom, yes. Are you crazy? <laughs> yes. Perfect. Okay. That's the end of the outro music. <laughs> are there lots of egos? Sure. There's lots of egos. <laughs> is there an underbelly? Yes. There's a dirty underbelly. Yes. Here we go. Um, you know, sticking sticking with the the mom theme for a second. Um, when yeah. you were still in the newsroom, what was it like to oh to sort God. of carry the weight of the world on you at work and then go home and make Listen. peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Okay. okay, I'm not the first. I'm not I'm not the first woman to have right. kids, right? But you know, I think the newsroom has always been this like you know 1950s workspace. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Where, um, you know, it's like a little bit of mad men going on yeah. all the time, you know? Uh, and it was really for a long time, it was a man's world, you know, the news division. I mean, it wasn't until like a few women started, you know, back in the day, Diane Sawyer, you know, um, Leslie Stahl, you know, some of the greats, Barbara Walters, you know, there, there was there were like the few, the brave uh, and the mighty. <laughs> uh, but, you know, on a regular local level, it was still archaic. I mean, being a mother in a newsroom and breastfeeding and being on TV and all of that stuff came with a lot. Um, and luckily, uh, I was able to get through it all. Luckily, I'm an easygoing person. <laughs> because some of it was just downright wrong. <laughs> but, you know, we just, we got through it. We got through it. I think, I think part of it is just my resiliency uh, of not really fighting that fight, you yeah. know, looking back, maybe I should have, you know, said more about like, you know, Hey, maybe we should have a room where women can, you know, have a breast pump and pump their breast milk and, and not be castigated because they can't make it to a morning meeting because yeah. they've been on TV for five hours and, you know, need to pump, you know, all of these things that, you know, that were happening for me back then because I was, you know, me and Lisa were like one of three people that had kids yeah. on the morning show. So there was not a lot of kindness or forgiveness or uh, humanity looking back on it, but you know, it was what it was at that time. And uh, you know, I think we being model minorities, <laughs> if I might use that phrase, um, didn't really think we had a voice to say something um, because it was just so occupied yeah. uh, by, by men. Yeah. So, so for basis of comparison, do, do you watch the, have, have you watched the, the morning show on Apple TV? I haven't because I probably lived that life. I really don't want to. Uh, okay. I was going <laughs> to ask think you. It might, I, think it, I think it might cut too deep for me. I think, you know, I think that wound for me is a little too fresh gotcha. sometimes. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I want to watch it. I want I want to watch it's it. It's amazing. The morning show. Yeah, I'm sure it's my life. I'm sure it is. <laughs> Sounds <I'm>, like it. <laughs> I'm sure it's my life. I'm sure it's my life. Wow. I wonder if I'm Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> well, we're going to follow up on this one day when you're back. <laughs> I'm sure. Everyone's like, you want to watch it? I was like, why would I watch something that I lived? I mean, it wasn't that easy. This episode is sponsored by the new cohort of the Leadership Experience. Unconventional leadership brought to you by yours truly, the launch dad himself, George Andriopoulos. Our new cohort is starting soon. And not only do we still have the same four courses, that's right, the public thought leadership track, the career leader track, the entrepreneurship track, and of course, the podcast experience, we have our first graduate level up level 
inimitable, the newest one-on-one leadership class. This is for not only if you have taken the Leadership Experience core class before and are ready to graduate to the newest level, but for those that have experienced leadership and want to take it to a new level, Inimitable is for you. I'm not even going to talk about it in this commercial. You're going to have to contact me. Check out the Leadership EXP dot com for details and to sign up for information inimitable is coming at you dm me for more info later guys no i haven't watched it i haven't watched the morning show i i, I need to watch it maybe i'll have some a bottle of wine and some therapy after it i don't know bring a couple of bottles <laughs> <laughs> no, bring a couple. I, I know i'm sure i'm sure i wonder <laughs> a friend of mine is like it's a must watch and i was like god it's so hard it's so hard i mean but going back to what i was saying it's like uh, yeah you have i do have some regrets about about how how things worked out for me at the end but you know i always look at the positive side of stuff and you know every road has to you know um it it can't always be one way you know it it has to end at some point so might as well walk out with your hand head held high and, and 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 let it go and and look for new opportunities because that's that's just who you are. You know? Well, look, there's 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 your career, and then there's real life, right? And so, um, I think we all sort of, excuse me, learn that lesson as we navigate the road to leadership, as we navigate our careers and find what we're doing. I was in the pharmacy industry for the first half of my career uh, before just a, a huge life change for me um, that sort of forced me to to pivot. Um, and then going into what I do now as a business consultant and owning a consulting firm and all, all these other doors opening for me, I'm just so much more fulfilled and happier, yeah. happier, but the, it's the balance that, that became important to me. I was in a career where it was just working my ass off constantly for the benefit of, of others. And of course I, I benefited as well, but there was no fulfillment for me. And so when I sort of rebuilt my career and decided that I was going to build my career around my family, around my personal life, right. that's where that balance happening. You're, you're kind of like, well, shit, what was I doing this whole time? You know, like, and it's well, not that they weren't a priority. It's just that you didn't realize how much of a priority that they should be until you see the other side of the coin. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, th- I think there's a deeper, I think there's a deeper wisdom that also comes with your children and your own understanding of who you are. I mean, listen, I was, you know, waking up since 24 years old at, you know, one o'clock in the morning, you know, I, yeah. you know, at, at some point that, that ship has to go, you know, yeah. and you know, it has to end and it wasn't getting any easier. And while I was grateful for my opportunity at Fox, because it just taught me that, you know what, I was of value and I did count. And uh, what I did at, you know, Channel 11 uh, did have uh, a real um, a real purpose. Uh, it sort of reaffirmed who I was without without all of the other stuff that kind of I had to work through. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I felt like I stood up to the challenge. I stood up to being a leadership. And then I kind of realized, like you said, you know, you only get one chance at this rodeo at being a parent. And I wanted to do everything that was possible to be able to find a balance, uh, to find a happier version of me. You know what I mean? Because, you know, sleeping four hours a night is nowhere to go, man. It's just no no way to be. Uh, And um, and I think I think that people really need to understand that, uh, that you matter. 
Yeah. Like you matter. You are probably the most important thing in this world right now to your family and friends. And without you, and you know, without a healthy you, without a healthy mental you, with all of those things not kind of clicking, there is no there is no happiness. And there without that, there is no leadership. Everything that you built yourself on, it doesn't count, right? If you're yeah. not completely present in the moment doing what's necessary to make yourself happy. Yeah. And so I think that's what the next evolution of me is. I mean, like, listen, I was really lucky to be in an industry for 25 plus years, you know? I was really, really happy to have given that opportunity and to work in my hometown and to be able to create a voice and a platform for people and girls who look like me and sound like me um, to not be the average size, to not be the uh, the, have the name, a uh, name that was familiar to other people, um, to be able to be another religion, um, you know, and do all of these things, you know, that was one part of my life. And this next definition is the other role that I'm going to lead into, which is really creating, um, a global environment, you know, like Scott and I, uh, my former co-anchor, Scott Stanford and I, we do the Suki and Scott show. Show. And that platform on Facebook uh, is, and, and we're doing it on OTT platforms too, is 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 a place to create community uh, through laughter, um, that our differences aren't so different. And that's my next role as a leader, I think, is to be able to bridge, uh, is to create bridges. Uh, and uh, because this is the world that we live in right now is so heavy, right, George? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, every day you're like, oh boy, what's going on? You feel like you're dodging a bullet. Okay, I dodged yeah. that bullet. I dodged that bullet. My children dodged that bullet. So it's 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 about uh, recreating uh, the world that I live in. So yeah, so so uh, you, you wrapped up um, at Pix Eleven in 2017. You moved on yeah. to Fox for a couple of years. Um, we miss you. We miss you at the anchor desk here here in uh, New York uh, for sure. But. Um, you know, I, it's like you said, um, I, I just see the, this happiness on you now. I see uh, the stuff that you're doing now. So much fun, too. Um, uh, you mentioned the Suki and Scott show on Facebook Live, which, by the way, I totally want to meet Scott. Um, <laughs> You'll have to interview I, him. He's, come he's a on, guy. Let me come on your Facebook Live. <laughs> yeah, I told you. Absolutely. I, it was funny because I, I'm, I've been, since I was a kid, I was a WWE fan. And oh, I remember wow. one day turning on the news and, and I'm like, I know this guy. And then I was like, oh, shit, this is the guy from WWE. <laughs> let, let me tell you something. That year that I anchored with Scott was probably the best year of my life, you know, even though everything else was sort of changing. And and this is the, something I'd like to tell you with your viewers. You don't really realize that change is happening, but it's 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 the universe telling you it's time to to kind of kind of do that. And so you know, the universe gave me Scott for a year to kind of reset, find the joy again, and just kind of put all that goodness out there. Um, the stuff that you love, why did you get in yeah. that business? You know, why did you get the industry, you know, not to be so mired in all the, the office politics and all that other stuff that just was clouding the vision. Um, and, and that's something that people need to understand, uh, that it, 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 it does get better. <laughs> Yeah. I never thought that I'd get a national show on TLC and Discovery and like, you know, boom, you know, you you walk off the, you know, the hamster wheel and then that happens too. Yeah. I think that even when you think that you you're not this is it, it's over, 
it's never over because talented people will always find ways to create and to recreate and to kind of figure out how to connect people because yeah. that's what I do, right? You're a connector. You're a connector in all different ways, you know, not only just through this media that we work with right now, but you're a connector in real life. So that's that's what you do. And um, yeah, I hope to you be able to continue to make those bridges happen. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, guys, we're going to share all the, all the links to see uh, where, where you can see Suki in the show notes. Uh, there's love. Uh, there's fine. Love, love live. live was this last summer. And fine love live. Love there's games. Love games. I'm on Cuban Discovery now. Plus. Yeah. <laughs> Suki and Scott show on Facebook live, which is by the way, hysterical. These two have like the best energy together. It's, it's awesome. Awesome. Great show. Um, before we move on to our final thing, the big three, what's, what is next? What, what's the goal? What else is happening right now? You got so much going on. I mean, for, for me, I, I think for me, the next, you know, listen, uh, first of all, getting through this pandemic yeah. and being able to raise children, I think everybody should give themselves applaud, applause for that because, you know, really that itself has been just an overwhelming experience, especially people who have young children yeah. uh, who are also going back to school. <laughs> Um, that's all. Yeah, I see. I I see everybody out there. I see everybody. Um, um, I think that for me, I don't really know, and I think that's the best part that I don't really know. For the first time in my life, I don't have a plot line of what I want to do for the next five years or ten years. The one thing I do know what I want to do is to continue to be able to make people laugh and smile. Um, sprinkle in my unique charm into the world and my ideas of how we could all be together and live in this world uh, uh, in a very unified way. Uh, and my really my my goal is to really just be this person for my my mom and my dad, uh, help them in their old age, and my and my children and my husband. I mean, that's really that's really my role right now and my duty uh, yeah. to be able to to give back uh, to the people who have given me so much. Um, and everything else is just, you know, it's just a bonus. Everything else is a bonus. So I'll take it. I'll take it. You all know, right. we're, we're all works in progress, right? So to wrap up your whole leadership concept, you says you got to learn to let go and to rebuild. And I think that's what I'm doing. Letting go, rebuilding and really enjoying life for the first time, being able to really breathe again, uh, without people's definition of who I should be without listening to viewer comments and content. <laughs> I love you all. But back in the days, I mean, that some of the stuff that was written to me, which was now be abusive, was brutal. <laughs> uh, it was brutal. Uh, but, you know, luckily I have some thick skin and was able to move past it. But, yeah. 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 Amazing. Amazing. Guys, let's move on to the big three. The big three from the launch cast. The big three. Suki, we're going to – I'm going to call out a few big things. Big three. I'm going to okay. call out a few things. You're going to give me your top three for each one. Quick, concise answers. Ready? Okay. All right. Uh, three big, quick, concise answers. This is a good one. Uh, three biggest mountains that you have climbed as a woman in your industry. Can this be quick and concise? Probably not. Oh, my God. Three <laughs> biggest mountains? I guess getting to the anchor desk, uh, being the first uh, Indian South Asian, uh, was, uh, was a huge mountain that I climbed and staying there was the second mountain that I climbed. And the third mountain uh, for me in my industry uh, was going over 
to the competing station uh, that I competed against for 18 years and then beating my old station. That was a huge mountain. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So it was weird, but it was good. It was good. Amazing. It was good. Um, three, <laughs> three favorite on air fails. Now I'm going to, I'm going to oh preface this by saying when I was all over Google, Oh my God, uh, me falling off the chairs. I've seen a ton of chairs. amazing moments. You fell I've a fall, lot. <laughs> I've, I've, I've fallen a lot. Um, I've fallen everywhere. Those are my three fails. Yeah, yes, falling, <laughs> falling. Falling off the anchor chair, falling on a Soul Train line with, uh, with Quest Love, and then, um, you know, I don't know. What's the other one? I, there's another one where I've fallen. Oh yeah, I fell the first time on a skateboard and, you know, was in the New York Post and I actually twisted and broke my ankle as a result of it. So, yes, those are my three fails right there. Right. <laughs> falling, falling. All right. Last falling. one. Three lessons to pass on to your kids. Oh, my gosh. Three lessons to pass on to my kids. Um, well. Find your voice. First of all, find out who you are intrinsically inside. Your value systems are very important. What's value? What's of value to you might not be of value to somebody else. Uh, but if you know what your value systems are, then you know what your voice is. So it all kind of goes yep. hand in hand. Uh, and and the third thing uh, is don't let anyone ever define you. You are uniquely yours, and you are uniquely your gifts are uniquely yours to share with the rest of the world. Amazing. Suki, total pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was so nice meeting you, George. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'll have to hook you up with now. I'll, I'll pass it on. Like, you know, I'll get you. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, I got to get you Scott now. Get me Scott. I don't know how deep he is, but I don't know how deep he is because he's like, can't, can't we just have a good time? Doesn't have to be deep. Um, we but, can just have a good time. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's all about a good time, but I will set you up with Scott and you oh, can have amazing. a conversation with him. Because he's one of those beautiful people that, like like, like Lisa, uh, that have been a light in my life and I'm grateful for. Amazing. Amazing. Hang out in the green room for two seconds while I wrap up. Suki, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, George. Guys, another episode of the LaunchCast. Catch us every single Monday morning. New episodes release 6 a.m. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeart. You know the deal. We'll see you next time. Into the black hole. Thanks for listening to the LaunchCast today. Please make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available. Follow me, George Andriopoulos, at Launchpad CEO on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And make sure to visit our website, guys, thelaunchcast.com. Looking forward to the next episode. See you soon, guys.